I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast. My name is Hallie Rye and today I am talking about all things fitness and answering your questions. I'm joined by a friend and a fantastic personal trainer, Lauren Slater, who is based here in London, in the UK. And I felt that it was only right that we did a podcast really getting into the nuance and the various shades of grey around your questions. So we're discussing things around foam rolling, rest days, best training practices, what's the best workout is there a best workout and we've really got into all these things now you may have seen when you clicked on this episode that it's not a short conversation (laughs) and that is because a I wanted to answer as many of your questions as possible and b because as with a lot of things in life the answers aren't binary it's not a simple yes no answer there's many shades of grey to these answers so I hope you stick with this episode and it provides a really great source of information for you. But of course, before we get into the episode, it is time for Train Happy Trooper of the Week. This week's Train Happy Moment comes from Cassandra. She emailed in to say, Hi Tally, I wanted to share my Train Happy Moment from this week. I recently decided to buy a used exercise bike as a year at home has really decreased my cardiovascular capacity and I've always really enjoyed spinning. It's become a habit to ride it for 15 to 30 minutes before I work and I typically feel amazing afterwards. However, on Friday, I woke up not feeling great. Dinner the night before hadn't really sat well with me and the idea of cycling sounded awful. Instead, I unrolled my yoga mat and did a few very gentle asanas to wake up my body and it felt really nice. Thanks for everything you do. Thank you, Cassie. Thank you for sharing that. And you know what? This is the perfect train happy moment to share for this episode because we really get into uh, yoga and its place in being a low more impact option for the days that you're not feeling great, but also around yoga and rest days and, you know, what's best to do active rest which is a term we get into a lot today so thank you Cassandra so much for sharing that train happy moment and for being our train happy trooper of the week if you would like to share your train happy moment with the podcast family then please get in touch via email trainhappypodcast at gmail.com or you can direct message us on instagram at trainhappypodcast and make sure you're following us over there too because we'd love to have you Okay, enough of me chatting. Like I said, this is already a fairly long episode, but full of information that I think you're going to find really interesting. So let's hear from Lauren. Lauren, welcome to the Train Happy podcast. I'm so pleased to have you on. How are you? I am a solid 7 out of 10. Oh, I like the ratings. (laughs) I should ask people for ratings more often. Yeah, I am... 
Wednesdays is usually a really nice day because I always start off teaching a mobility class and um, I'm not a morning exerciser in any shape or form. Um, and I wake up at 7.30 and I want to die, but I then do my session and teach at 8 a.m. It's only half an hour. And, uh, and then I feel fabulous for the rest of the day. And then I kind of ask myself why I don't do that every day, but it never happens, but there we go. <laughs> It's really refreshing to hear that you're also a non-morning person, especially oh, another God. person in fitness, because I feel like everyone else is like 6am crew and I'm never down for that. Oh, no, I used to when I when I first started um, as a trainer, I used to teach 6am classes and stuff like that. Um, and it is something that I did adapt to ish. Um, it's not something that I could have continued doing forever because my body just went, no, thank you. Um, but yeah, no, now I, now I am in the position in my career where I'm able to make the choice. There is absolutely no way I'm choosing to get up before 7.30. <laughs> oh, same. And I think yeah. I'm 30 now, right? My whole twenties, yeah. I spent getting up at the crack of dawn to do things. I've done my yeah. time. And if I'm going to choose my own work hours, why would I choose to like lessen my sleep but I don't know just the way my my circadian rhythm is that my yeah. sleep I like to wake up between literally the same time as you between seven and eight skewing towards eight o'clock this week oh god um, yeah and I know that's that's listening to my body yes well that's it I'm I get that you technically could go to bed earlier but that is not what I want to do I want to sit in the evening and watch three episodes of Bones at the moment that's what I've been doing so <laughs> I don't want to go to bed at nine so yeah anyway. no I can't go to I can't go to bed at nine I'm only just winding yeah. down yeah exactly so you are a personal trainer and that's I why I wanted to chat with you today because I just really respect you as a personal trainer I think you you just kind of do things a bit differently and that will become clear as we get more into this episode for those listening. But first, before we get into answering questions and busting myths, I'd love to hear about how you became a personal trainer and what your path to fitness was. Because I'm right in saying you you went to like a music school and trained to be a singer. I did. I have a degree in singing that I highly regret. <laughs> and I am still paying off. Um, no, in, it was great for a number of, in a number of ways. But um, yes, I basically grew up as I did musical theatre when I was very young. Um, and then when I was doing my, I think I was doing my GCSEs, I tra transitioned into uh, classical singing. And then for some, for whatever reason, it turned out that I had a bit of a natural knack at, at that. So um, I started training quite intensively. Um, and then yeah I did my degree in singing um, and then I was basically going to look at doing a postgraduate in opera at one of the London conservatoires and um, I kind of realised that singing was something that I was good at rather than it was necessarily like my passion or what I wanted to do with my life um, and it's difficult remembering exactly how that happened um I think because it was 
So I'm I'm also nearly 30 and this was when I was 20, I'm 30 in August, gulp. And um, yeah, this is when I was 21. And uh, it happened really quickly. I thought, I do tend to make decisions quite quickly as a person. So I just kind of went, right, cool. Don't want to do this anymore. Moved back home, thought, okay, what the hell am I going to do with my life now? Um, and at the time I had I had suffered with an eating disorder in my teens and I was kind of, I was still in the very much kind of first stages of recovery. Um, and I was, I think as a lot of, a lot of people that do suffer with eating disorders are, I was such a massive foodie. I mean, by its very nature, having an eating disorder, you are obsessed with food. <laughs> and um, so I was a huge foodie, but I was also, I guess, because of my background of going through that, I wanted to help other people kind of find a happier relationship with food and their bodies. Um, so I knew that I basically, at that moment, I decided that I wanted to become a dietitian. Um, however, I realized that I needed another degree to do that. Uh, so I decided that I would become a personal trainer so I could supplement my income to pay for another horrifyingly expensive degree. And I basically got stuck. So I qualified as a personal trainer in 2014. And uh, I just fell in love with it. I love the in-person nature of personal training. I'm such a people person. I love Having said that, I'm also a massive introvert, but the one-to-one <laughs> nature of personal training, I absolutely love. Um, and yeah, I then kind of realized that there was no way I wanted to be a dietitian and I was far more interested in being in person with people rather than writing up nutrition plans and doing lots of paperwork. So yeah, that's kind of me. And then I continued and now I'm here. <laughs> it's so interesting how I do think this is like a path for so many people who work in like the health and fitness space yes that they all have their own experience and story with their relationship with food or their relationship with fitness mm. and that there's a lot of either I think either wanting to use that medium use that that job as a fitness or job as a nutritionist to be able to as a uh cover up I don't know if cover up's the right word I'm thinking of yeah. you know like as a way to kind of um justify certain thought you know behaviors absolutely but also in a because they're like well this person really helped me or I really got a lot from this so I'd like to help other people in the same way I, I don't think it's always because people have their own experience but I do think um it's often one of those two things no you're right I absolutely wanted to help people to overcome similar things to myself even though I was especially at the time vastly not qualified to do that <laughs> um, you know having an eating disorder does not make you qualified to work with people with eating disorders of course um but secondly I think there was that attraction of working within health and fitness of I can still kind of focus on food and exercise quite a lot um and that would be expected and it's not going to be a bad thing people would just think oh she's really dedicated to her job you know since for quali uh since qualifying as a personal trainer and I think we've obviously been working in fitness the same amount of time then because I think I so. qualified in 2014 can I just say that this is a lovely moment in many ways because I think you were one of the first fitness people I followed on Instagram 
um, all those years ago. I would love to, I don't know how to find that out of how many years that I have known of you. I didn't know that. I don't think I've ever told you that. Yeah. No, so, I didn't know Yeah, that. you were one of the, back when you were doing girl games and yeah. all of that stuff. So, um, so yeah, you're one of my first, my OGs. <laughs> well, haven't we gone on a journey? Haven't we bloody grown? <laughs> haven't we really come a long way? I'm always interested with people who kind of like stuck, stuck with it because I would yeah. totally respect if people had to like take time away from me as a like a fitness account because you know things were fairly toxic at times and so Hmm. you know I think it's interesting some of us have grown together some people have like gone away had to set the boundary and then have a rediscovering my work now and are like oh this is great like I can get on board with this which is really um I actually find it quite an honor for people to say like I set a boundary I took some time away I've come back like good on you good for you (laughs) I think as well, when you think about um, maybe things you were posting before, it's easy to look with the eyes that you have now and think, well, that was mm. toxic. That was harmful to everyone. But I don't think that was the case. Like looking at your content and other people's content, sure, there were things that, and my own, God, my own, absolutely. And there were definitely things that I go, Jesus, God, and I cringe at. Um, I think, oh, that could be harmful to someone. Um but that's with my eyes now. Whereas back then, a lot of that stuff was a hell of a lot healthier than the things I had been doing before. So actually it was, it was kind of a, it was a stepping stone into taking mm. me forward to a better, into an even better place. So I don't think, yeah, it's not as easy and, and black and white as to be like, ah, 2015 tally sucked. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what? 2015 tally and 2015 Lauren was just yeah. doing the best they could with exactly time. And you and know what? I still am. That's still exa- the case. Exactly. And I may get to five years' time and think, you know, wow, I could have done. Th- mm. I would have done things differently again. So yeah. yes, I definitely have that kind of compassion for myself. And yeah. you know, yeah, I, I I don't judge myself in that sense. Um. So like I did mention, you do do things a bit differently in fitness now and I'd love to you'd maybe just to just give everyone like a bit of a um insight into your training philosophy and how you work now um in you know 2021 okay I guess I don't really see myself as working differently but I guess I can't really compare my I don't know how other trainers work Mm. so I guess I don't necessarily see myself as different also I'm quite lucky that I, I surround myself with a bunch of people that I think are doing some really good things. Um, but in general, I mean, I guess when I first came into the industry, like most personal trainers, when you, you're fresh out the box, um, you don't really have enough. <laughs> um, we could, I could go on for ages. I won't bore everyone with um, kind of the state of fitness education <laughs> in the UK. Um, but let's just say that when you come out with your level three in personal training, you don't know very much. And when you first get started, you are in essence going off what you think worked for you, which is entirely anecdotal or what you think worked for someone else, or you're finding people in the industry who you look up to as a kind of guru or as an expert on a different topic that you're interested in. Um, and you're following exactly what they tell you without really questioning it and that's kind of exactly what I did I think it's a natural path for anyone because that's just the natural 
kind of path of learning, I suppose. Um, I was always really, really interested from the get go of trying to be the best I could be. <laughs> so I paid and invested a lot of money into my own education and went on a lot of courses. Um, as I said, unfortunately, in the fitness industry, it's not wonderfully regulated. So a lot of the courses that I went on, I learned various different techniques around assessing people's posture and telling people that certain postures were wrong, some were right. Um, I did various corrective exercise courses, um, movement screen courses where it kind of tells people they have to fit within a certain box of what movement is correct and what isn't um, and this movement's dangerous this isn't um, so I did a lot of them and I completely I guess drunk the Kool-Aid because I had no reason to question any of that information I was a brand new into my career and I was doing these courses with these guys who had been in the industry for 20-30 years and they had PhDs who was I with my with my little little keen keen brain to question any of that um so I spent a number of years basically just applying what I'd learned on those courses to my clients without really thinking about what my clients actually wanted and whether any of these techniques were appropriate for them and um, in 2018 so I was a few years into my career I was introduced to a guy called Ollie Pierce who is still my mentor um, who teaches courses for a company called Faster Function um, and Faster is incredibly unique in my experience in the country in that as the research changes the courses change so they are updated every year to keep up with the latest information this is not the norm when it comes to fitness industry courses, mm. um, unfortunately, and that completely changed my life. Um, I have become particularly interested in helping people overcome quite difficult hurdles. So, for example, long term uh, pain conditions and injuries, I became really interested in that. And um, so I've done quite a few courses around that area. Um, but ultimately, the main way that I approach every single client is as an individual. Um, so in the fitness industry, it's quite guilty of using what we call the biomedical model. And probably spoken about this on the podcast before with approaches to uh, weight loss and things like that and health mm. of where you've said it loads. It's not just as simple as, hey, calories in, calories out. There's so many different things that, um, that influence someone's health, um, be it sociological factors, psychological factors, environment, etc. Um, and then you have biological factors as well, genetics, um, skill, etc. Uh, it's exactly the same with moving. So if you can, uh, my aim is to take every single client that I have um, and really work to get beneath the surface of what their, maybe their initial goals are that they tell me. So for example, as a trainer, you'll maybe sit down with someone and say, so why have you come to see me? And they'll say, oh, I want to lose weight or I want to be fitter. And you're like, cool, why? <laughs> and then quite often someone will sit there and go, oh, don't really know. <laughs> Cause I feel like I should be. And then um, mm. in my consultations, what I'm looking for is something that I call like a trigger of, okay, well, what's the real reason 
that you want to be fitter and um, maybe someone will say something like oh well I used to you know I want to be able to keep up with my kids they're running circles around me I want to be able to get involved with them while they're doing their one of my clients is actually wants to go surfing with her kids because they're learning to surf and she wants to be able to feel confident enough to be able to surf with them um, so if I can get to like the deeper level of what why movement actually is meaningful to that person I can then build a much better program around how to get them there because it's always deeper than that first initial like lose weight more confidence fitter so you have to find that deeper meaningful goal um, so that's my number one and then from there um, just from the courses that I continue to do with faster um, I look for the appropriate research to help that person so previously, no matter what someone's goal was, I probably would have foam rolled them for 10 minutes at the start of the session, activated their glutes, and then done like a standard strength session. So like, when I say standard sort of strength session, I mean like uh, squat, deadlift, push, pull, et cetera, instead of like looking at what that person wants to achieve. And if they're a runner thinking, okay, well maybe strength training in that traditional sense isn't the most appropriate program for this person it needs to be specific to their skill so yeah that's basically how I work I take an individualized approach um I guess it's a holistic approach but um basically it uses the biopsychosocial model of health so it incorporates the biological sociological and psychological so all of the different elements and then making sure that I continuously consider those in someone's program and my approach to building something that works for them You've already touched on quite a few of the things <laughs> I want to get into today. So I think we should just get into answering uh, questions. So I put a call out on uh, Instagram for people to send in their kind of fitness questions and myth to bust. And yes. I suppose we should start with, uh, you mentioned foam rolling. And oh, yeah. <laughs> Hannah had asked um, if, yeah, what are Lauren's thoughts on foam rolling? And um, I added in because I'm interested. What you what are your thoughts on things like the Theragun and those types okay. of recovery tools? So maybe we should start with foam rolling. Do we should we be doing it before mm -hmm. sessions? Should we be doing it um, as a tool for recovery? What are your thoughts? Right. Okay, so um, I like this. <laughs> I um, I used to love foam rolling, so I used to think that it was very important to do every before every session to improve my range of motion to prevent injuries and do things like that um, from looking at the research it is inconclusive at best as to how much rolling actually does um, and that includes any kind of manual therapy so you can put theragun uh, foam rolling massage um, any one of those tools all under the same umbrella of um, manual therapy, right? So they can work temporarily hmm. to provide a feeling that someone is more flexible or maybe has a little bit more range, or maybe if they're really sore and they roll on, say your thigh is really sore and you rolled your thigh, um, maybe you had a little bit of a temporary feeling of that pain being reduced 
Um, there are many reasons for that. Uh, what is important is say if I was really sore, I'm just going to say my thigh again, <laughs> and I rolled it for five minutes and I experienced a reduced um, amount of pain in that area, that might change how I went about the rest of my day, which would, I'd maybe move more, I'd maybe engage in more kind of health promoting behaviors because I'm not like, I'm in a lot of pain. <laughs> you know um so it's and that is really important for then um empowering someone to continue moving and not allowing that pain to hold them back from doing the things that they want to do um does it help recovery I think was the question oh it's, it's a tricky it's a tricky one to answer um as I said, I, I don't want to take foam rolling away from people um, because people really enjoy it. So that's a really important thing to say. Um, I also love massage. Same, <laughs> I booked in for one next week. Brilliant. Um, yeah, I think it feels lovely. It's really nice. There are so many reasons that we enjoy massage and like human touch, um, but it, it does it if you think about what it's actually doing to the tissue and how that would help the healing process. So I did a very silly, silly video on this about the Theragun where I kind of punched myself in the leg and I said, would you think that me punching myself in the leg is going to improve the recovery of my tissue? And I think most people would say no. No. <laughs> myself like a thousand times as fast as I could in the same spot you probably just end up with a really big bruise mm, <laughs> yeah um so then why are we trying to use a theragun or a foam roll we know it will you will feel like some people will roll and they'll be like oh my god this is so painful and what it does is it distracts you from any kind of sensation that you had there before. So say for example, you've got like soreness from working out and you roll over a muscle, you are overloading your nervous system with a completely different sensation of the foam roller. Um, it creates a different pain experience and it distracts you from the original source of the discomfort. It's a bit like, so this is a good metaphor um, or analogy, not a metaphor. Um, if I, sorry, Tally, if I kicked you in the leg, yeah, I broke your leg. Yeah, um, definitely, you know, this is hypothetical. So I've, I've just broken your leg. Um, but then I threw you into a cage with a bear. You're probably not going to notice your leg as much. Yeah. <laughs> um, if we think about foam rolling and manual therapy in the same kind of way of it can help that with kind of distracting you but from a long-term perspective it doesn't make the problem go away but can it be included within part of a program because you like it and it feels good absolutely do you need to desperately panic if you don't do it no I think that's that interesting because I think a lot of people <laughs> are like oh I'm not foam rolling enough like oh yeah. like you know I really let myself down with not doing that and yeah actually we don't need to be stressing out about it like it can no. be a nice feel like it can feel like a nice relief I have a Theragun star product it's not a Theragun mm -hmm. it's one of the other ones um mm -hmm. that a friend kindly gave to me 
because they had an extra mm-hmm. one. I only use it when I <laughs> when I say to Jack, can you give me a massage on my shoulders? And he's like, yeah. no. I'm like, fine, I'll do it myself. <laughs> That's brilliant. So it's like perfect for it's the single for like person. Self, you know when you just want to like shoulder rub because you're feeling yes. Good. And what that is for me is a sign of like, oh, your stress and tension is in your shoulders. Mm. Um, And I know that it's not a long-term relief. I know that it's very much a short-term, for me, it's even if it's a placebo effect of a short-term relief, like that feels good. Would I go out and spend hundreds of pounds on that? Mm. No, I just happen to have one because I was given one by a friend. Would I spend money on one? No, I wouldn't. Yeah. It's not necessarily a placebo. Like you are, like your your brain is interpreting that mm. the cognition of that sensation, and it's you know you're getting a huge nervous system response. So it's not necessarily a placebo. My my issue with these products is that they are not working for the reasons that people think they are, and people are being missold um, these products. Uh, in a way that suggests that they will provide some kind of miracle cure for pain or injury. And that's not fair. <laughs> yeah. I work with um, a lot of clients that have chronic pain conditions and it really upsets me when they are sold things that are not necessarily gonna be helpful. And where it can be problematic and where these things can be problematic is when people do become really reliant on them and they think, well, I can't go for my run or I can't do this and I can't do that unless I've done my 20 minutes of foam rolling. Um, Or maybe you start with 10 minutes and that doesn't work so well. So then you think, well, now I need to do 20 minutes and then it takes up more and more of your time and it takes you away from your goal and what you actually want to do and why you're actually moving. So that's my big bugbear with those tools, really. But not the, it's not really the tools themselves. It's how they're sold. Okay, well, while we're at it then, I, I mean, we had so many questions on recovery and rest days. Um, yes. But I suppose this is a question I had because I want to mm. hear your take on this. Mm. Um, and I think this would be helpful to people listening. What's the difference between stretching your muscles Mm-hmm. and doing mobility I mean you taught a mobility class today yeah yeah are they the same thing are they different and do they play different roles at different times yeah I love this question so much um I keep meaning to make some content on it but I haven't got around to it so thank you for nudging me uh, <laughs> right so I mean in essence they are they are the same thing um we talk about stretching, mobility and flexibility like they are different things. I think as a general rule, we mean the same thing. They, um, I think how the fitness industry approaches mobility um, needs to change in that there isn't a certain amount of mobility work or stretching work that everyone should be doing. Um, again, it's, it's task and goal specific. Uh, so for example, say if you were a a power lifter and you were doing like the big three movements your squat deadlift and bench press and to be competitive at powerlifting you have to squat to a certain range of motion it would therefore make sense to if you were struggling with that to incorporate in your program um, ways of increasing your skill in the range of motion that you need to be good to be competitive at that sport 
but then say I've got I train quite a few runners um which is a short range of motion movement really it's far less you're getting far less hip flexion knee flexion um, than you do in that sort of powerlifting squat um would I give them a mobility program to increase their range of motion probably not because it's not going to help them get faster or improve their performance at running and they don't need it um, again, if we look at the research, being more mobile, having more range of motion does not mean that you are more protected from injury. We need to obviously having a certain amount of mobility is important for life. Like, you know, your classic life skills of getting up and down off your sofa or the toilet or uh, being able to get something from your cupboard in your kitchen. These are all skills that we want to use every day or for example like I, I train quite a few new mums being able to pick their babies up mm. from blooming awkward positions and carry stuff around and so but again it's specific um so if you if part of your goal is trying to you need to feel like you're able to move a little bit better to perform everyday tasks um then yes in building skill within larger ranges of motion um, could be an important part of the program. But again, it's just, it's individual. It has to be appropriate for the person and what they're trying to achieve rather than just saying, everyone should be doing three times a week mobility for what, why? <laughs> yeah. I think this idea that it's um, prescriptive and, and it's, yeah, there's a, there's a one size fits all approach. I think yeah what we learn about on this podcast in general is that that's not true when it comes to like yeah. the choices you want to make around food are the same the choices you want to make around exercise and the requirements your body has for the different movement it does mm. you know we all have different things we want to do hobbies we want to excel at and so yeah. you're right like always putting that first and foremost what are your individual needs yes. are more important than what your favorite fitness influencer is telling you absolutely um the other thing that I forgot to say is everything is mobility that's yeah. the thing if I if I bend over to pick um to stroke my cat on the floor or pick something up um or if I squat down to do some gardening 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 um gardening um I am doing mobility training because those muscles are stretching, the joint angles are changing um, and my you know my bones are moving in space that is that's no different to me. Um, I don't know, doing like, say, let's use the picking something off the floor analogy. Um, that's an in real world example of like that sort of hamstring touch test, you know, when people try to touch their toes. Mm. Um, so you are doing mobility, whether you think you are or you're not. <laughs> if you want to improve certain things and feel like you can move through larger range of motion yeah great but um yeah it's not a one-size-fits-all wonderful okay I want to move on to the rest day questions because oh, yeah. I think I recently did a post about on Instagram about rest days yes. it's raised a lot of questions and because yeah. there's not enough room for nuance and just generally getting into you know the, all that stuff around this topic I, I feel that there are questions we do need to answer so mm -hmm. firstly uh emily says what counts as active rest yeah. is active rest a myth and can i do yoga on my rest days <laughs> um i find it really interesting firstly that 
uh, there was quite a few little yoga things that came up in the questions mm -hmm. and people seem to think that yoga is like this really easy form of movement that's always restorative um yoga can be incredibly advanced body weight training like body weight strength training so um it it really depends on the type of yoga that you're choosing and whether you're skilled at it already. If we talk about, I'll come back to the active rest thing in a second, but just zoning in on yoga for a second, because um, it, yeah, it depends what type you're going for and your experience with it. Uh, so I would imagine that for most people, something like a yin style yoga, which is quite gentle <laughs> and quite slow, uh, would be an appropriate rest day activity. Um, but for most people, because it's not going to be horrendously challenging for the most part. Um, that doesn't mean that it would be suitable for everyone, however. Um, but then, yeah, some yoga classes can be extremely advanced body weight training. Um, so it absolutely depends on your own skill and your abilities at the activity in question as to whether it's appropriate for your active rest. And it's difficult, but ultimately... I can't give you an exact answer here. It takes trial and error to find over time what feels right to you uh, with regards to how well you can then perform across the week and how you feel across the week with your other activities. Um, because technically, I mean, to a certain degree, probably not some activities could count as active rest, but um, say if I was like an Ironman runner, I'm absolutely not um Jesus God I can't imagine anything worse but say if I was um going for a 10k on a Sunday might be really appropriate active rest for me um so it does entirely depend on the person and your recovery behaviors so we know that certain forms of exercise will likely create more damage in the tissue um so big changes in volume. So that could be you're suddenly doing five sessions a week rather than two, or you've upped the number of sets, or you're taking, you've changed the tempo of the exercises you're doing. So you're suddenly slowing everything down. So you're getting more time under tension. Um, eccentric loading will also create more tissue damage. So that's, if you think about a press up, if I, the eccentric portion of a press up will be the lowering part. So if I suddenly slowed that down, that stretch part, that stretchy eccentric part of the motion, that's likely to create more tissue damage. Um, and it might take me longer to recover from that. And then you've got all of the other things that fall under recovery, which, you know, are getting your nutrition protocols in place. You're getting enough micronutrients, you're getting enough protein, carbohydrates, fats, um, and you're sleeping <laughs> well, you're managing your stress, super easy to manage your stress. Um, so <laughs> you know easy peasy you should be doing that like every day just manage your stress all the time um <laughs> sarcasm so, everyone just in yeah, case <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think yeah I sound peppy all the time so sometimes my sarcasm comes across as being genuine but that was sarcastic um yeah so if you if those things are in place then you should be recovering okay um however Genetics play an enormous part as well in how, um, and hormonal, there are hormonal implications of how well we recover. Um, so 
it will change from week to week as well, which is so annoying. It'd be great to give an answer of, oh, yay, I found my perfect place of, I know I can exercise four times a week and I can, I generally do around this much walking a day as well. Um, and I'm recovering really well from it. But maybe on the week where I have my period, I feel like utter crap and I can only do, I can do far less, you know? So it is that constant kind of, and Tally talks about this all the time, that you, you know, you continue with that constant dialogue with yourself of, um, you know, what does feel right today? Is it appropriate for me to lower my intensity this week a little bit and try Or maybe I'm feeling really good and I can push and I'm feeling really energized. Um, and it does just take trial and error. And you know what? You won't always get it right. I've, I'm a personal trainer. I get it wrong sometimes. Last week, I had drunken alcohol over Easter, hadn't drunken alcohol since Christmas. And um, I just flat out didn't recover. And I had a little hamstring pull in one of my classes. And it's, you know, little things like that, that will come because that's just life. Um, and it's taking those moments and not taking it as a personal failure of, I don't know my body well enough, because that's not the case. It's just, you're constantly learning, you're taking in new information all the time. It's absolutely that. It's absolutely just keep the constant checking in with yourself. And, you know, even if you say like Wednesdays are my rest days mm. and it's Thursday and you're like, no, today is a training day. It's going, you know what? If I need this extended rest, I can have it. Yeah. And I think the the lots of the queries around rest days were like, I think there's a, a fear there. And th there were other questions like about the kind of psychology behind that. Mm. of you know I know I need to rest but I'm really scared about what happens when I rest and for that that's the kind of a that's certainly a part of the the reasons that I I think people are not listening to their body in that sense yeah. um and you know pushing through pushing through pushing through and then wondering why they're not really progressing with their training yeah. um because they're kind of getting to this point where um, they're plateauing and they're like hmm what's what, what could be wrong here um, mm. I'm training doing all the right things doing all the program but it's because we're not allowing ourselves to actually like allowing ourselves and our body to kind of just take a breather and be like hang on a second you've chucked all the stuff at me I need to process this yeah here's the thing you want to think about it the other way around of like oh I'm working out so that I can get stronger you want to think it's the adaptations that occur from your training regime occur during your rest time, not during the workout. And that's the way around you want to think about it. Um, I often talk about um, finding your minimal effective dose um, with regards to your training, whether you're uh, training for a sport or, you know, weight training, whatever your chosen activity is. If you start with two days a week and you're making the kind of you're recovering really well and you're progressing at a pace that you feel really happy with, it's highly unnecessary to change anything. You know, <laughs> um, I always think it's much nicer to start with less and then you have the space to potentially add more in if you want to. Um, this is anecdotal, but I feel like it's nice to add in some personal examples. And um, two of my, I guess, they were both doing weight training. They were both weight training clients. Um, two of my strongest clients I've ever had trained two days a week with me. And that was their only exercise that they did besides just 
wandering around London <laughs> for the life. you know but just life <laughs> mm. just wandering to the tube etc you know I had one lady um I'll shout out Stacy actually because she'll love it um <laughs> you know I think we were training together for a year she went from she hadn't lifted a weight before and she was lifting double her body weight within a year and that was with two days of training a week it is much better to approach it from that way and prioritize recovery um as opposed to going right five days a week is going to be better surely it must be um and then like as you say either plateauing or feeling like this is way too much that's not to say that you can't train for five or six days a week and recover really well again there are so many different influences and low you know some people love to train more often and they are recovering well and that's great it's not dangerous it's just depends on you <laughs> exactly like theme of this really is it's it's yeah. very individual it's hard to give a one-size-fits-all answer as well yeah. um because it really depends on the person but mm. I love that whole thing of you know yeah quality over quantity initially mm. especially you know um focus on what you can do and try and do it really well rather than I think some people feel overwhelmed at even like starting a fitness journey because Mm. it's like I have to be all in and this has to be like a five day a week thing and I have to commit so much and then they don't do anything and actually um you can still you know exercise can be really beneficial for you even if you're doing like those you know couple of sessions a week yeah and someone I think someone asked about doing 30 minute sessions and whether that was worthwhile and I really wanted to hone on on that and say absolutely like 100% that's one thing that I can just be like yes I don't have to say it depends I can just say yes (laughs) um, there's so many benefits even from you know I make like 10 minute dancey videos yeah because that's moving your body and it depends once again, we would be like, okay, it depends on your goal. It's a specific goal as to what you want to get to, whether yeah. 30 minutes is, you know, beneficial and what you're doing in that 30 minutes. But mm. if we're looking to just generally move our bodies more, mm. um, you know, maintain a level of fitness and also just to look after our mental health, five minutes Absolutely. movement is wonderful. And yeah, this actually wasn't, uh, maybe it wasn't a question, but something I'm interested in is there's a real obsession in the fitness industry because there's a lot of egos in our industry around (laughs) you'd never think what um (laughs) there's this idea that there's like the perfect workout or Mm. the perfect set of exercises that we all should be doing or you know spin is terrible and weight training is the pinnacle of training Mm. um you know hits the worst thing you can do we can go into let's not maybe go into the whole <laughs> house of hit, but, you know, um, doing a bodyweight workout, like what's the point if you're mm. not, um, deadlifting, you know, all these various things, um, saying, you know, you should be doing this. You shouldn't be doing this. Like Pilates is pointless bars pointless. Yeah. yeah. I personally get very frustrated with that because I think once again, for me, the goal has always been to help people move more and to Mm -hmm. incorporate movement in and yes when you're working with an individual one-to-one you know that there's certain things you're doing specifically for that person but when you have a platform and you're trying to encourage people to move obviously if you have the agenda of selling them a certain plan that's Mm going to skew what you are you know pointing people towards but there is benefit in all movement absolutely it's a it's it I think with 
personal trainers, unfortunately, um, we we do tend to have a weight training bias. And that does not, I am not suggesting that weight training is bad in any way. Um, obviously, there are so many benefits to doing some form of resistance training with regards to long term health of reducing uh, risk of, uh, you know, osteoporosis, stuff like that, and generally keeping more muscle tissue, keeping you more mobile. Um, it's there's so many benefits. <laughs> um, but what's interesting is when we approach things that are you know, sports, well, most when it comes to sports, say like tennis or golf, most trainers are just like, oh, I don't really understand how to approach that. So I'm just not going to talk about it um, <laughs> because it doesn't look like weight training at all. Um, Literally. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's when it comes to things like spin and running, um, it's interesting that we think that those people uh, are weak and are somehow not as strong as people that weight train. Um, it's a very different skill. If you think about an Olympic runner, or if you think about Usain Bolt, <laughs> it's like, I don't really know many runners, so I'm just going to say the one that I know. <laughs> uh, or if you think about... Um, Mo Farah, the long distance runner. Thank you, thank you. That's you might right. know more. Do you know you more? You might know more cyclists as well. Oh, you've got um, Mark Cavendish. Okay. Uh, Victoria Pendleton. Yeah, there you go. I know. I had a Pendleton bike once. <laughs> it was a lovely upright. It was very. It was very heavy. It wasn't very rideable. I wouldn't recommend it to be honest. But she is a good cyclist. We can definitely agree she's on that. Pretty, she's, she's pretty good with her gold medals and she's stuff. All right. she's yeah, right. She's all right. Yeah, she's all right. She's passable. Um, but there's no way that you would describe any of those people as weak. They are excessively strong. <laughs> um, you know, it's in, incredible levels of strength. Um, and they might have their muscle tissue may be slightly different to someone that performs more uh, weight training because you have some you, you have different muscle type fibers um, but it doesn't mean that that muscle is weak <laughs> or that they are weak um, people hating on spin is I don't know I don't know why I it's a shame because spin is something that is accessible to many um, a lot of people really enjoy it they love the music they love the class atmosphere um it is predominantly a safe form of exercise if you you know if you pace yourself and build it up slowly I know that some it obviously it depends on the class that you're going to I know some instructors can push people too hard you know but um if you like with anything if you have a good instructor that is being encouraging and inclusive to your ability and meeting you where you're at it's a safe form of movement you know you, there's very little risk of falling off like a regular bike <laughs> there's some kind of myth of like you're going to do all this damage to your joints because you're moving them around it's it's completely bizarre <laughs> it is and I think like I say it's because I, I, I also think we as trainers we do skew towards weight training and we have mm. our own personal preferences about what we like doing yes right? and it's I think it's kind of sad that we're just discounting lots of different forms of movement because obviously yeah. as a side note, and I say this all the time in this podcast, we are sold 
as movement being a means to an end for weight loss, right? And that's mm. pretty much what then we we're always looking through. The, we're always looking at movement in that way, like yes. what's going to be most effective for weight loss. Yeah. Um. But ultimately, in general. I'm trying to get people to think more long-term and sustainable about that. Yeah. Instead of focusing on like weight loss must, must be the goal of my training. Being like weight loss is something that may occur, but mm. can you get loads of regular benefits of movement? that are going to make you just generally feel better by doing yeah. something you enjoy. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. And can you be strong as a cyclist and as a runner or as a tennis player or doing body weight movements at home? Yes. I mean, again, this is anecdotal, but um, <laughs> I haven't lifted weights since last March. Um, I probably am not going to again. I fell out. I actually fell out of love with weight training. Probably, you know, a few years ago now. Um, mm -hmm. There are other things I just enjoy far more. And for me, when I was transitioning out of having an eating disorder um weight training was something that was so empowering for me um because I became more interested with how much I was lifting rather than how much my body weighed and that was awesome that was such an important transition but as I went on I realized that it was just kind of transferring <laughs> to focusing on another strict Num variable and, and another yeah, number yeah. Um, and I also realized that I ultimately I didn't really as I got better, I just didn't really care what that number said. You know, I didn't care whether I lifted 100 kilos for my deadlift. I, I just couldn't care. So I did start thinking about, well, what do I actually want to do? Um, but yeah, in the last I still did keep up my weight training alongside I, I horse ride. So um, I did keep it up alongside that. Um, but then, you know, in the last year with the pandemic, um, I didn't have access to a gym. I was blooming relieved. I hate gyms. Um, so <laughs> never like them. Smelly places. Um, they are very smelly. Yeah. Very Stary, stary men and smelly, smelly changing rooms. No, thank you. Would rather <laughs> be at home with my cats. Um, so yeah, I teach body weight classes. Um, it's been really lovely to see um some of the progress that a lot of my class attendees have made and myself to be honest um i my classes i focus on like different skills so i generally base them around like a press up and upper body strength um a single leg squat and lunges and um, so i provide lots of different variations for improving your abilities with those skills um and yeah I can do sort of push-ups now that I never thought I'd be able to do I can do all sorts of mad stuff which is fun it is fun <laughs> you know what I think is like once again this whole notion that exercise has to be done in a gym for it to be valid mm. um I personally like the gym because there's I'm I have access to things I just don't have here one yeah. of the things actually being a spin bike yes <laughs> Well, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I managed to go back for the first time this week and I, I've got to get fit to teach three classes a week in five, yeah. four weeks. So uh, yeah. that's, that's, I, I'm actually loving having that to really focus on. That's um, cool. But I also know that, you know, 
you could absolutely still well one of the questions was um you know can you like do you have I think you kind of said like do you have to lift weights Mm. for it to be like valid and I think in general like do you have to go to the gym for it to be valid no answer no and it's also like well what what is progress to you yeah like is progress lifting more on a goblet squat or is it that you feel you feel a certain way when you're doing a lower body movement is it an increased range of motion what what is it that you're trying to what is that pro because until you define what that progress is you can't you can't tell (laughs) um can you get stronger with body weight training absolutely i haven't um i now train my clients completely online uh since the pandemic started and i am not going back into a gym ever I've actually found that I get better, either better results or the quality of my sessions is the same as it was when I was in the gym. That is, some of my clients have their own equipment and some of them have quite a lot of equipment. Um, Plenty of my clients have nothing. Um, I saw you using a Tupperware lid the other day and I was like, that's genius. That is genius. Well, that's getting a slider and I thought, yeah, love that yeah so you can do all sorts of things but what it's it's forced me to do as a coach is instead of kind of I guess get distracted by being like oh all this equipment's around me so I should use it is again it's coming back to the actual person what they're trying to achieve what biomechanics I need to select that best help them achieve Mm. that skill and how they want to feel at the end of the session and then I plan the session to get that feeling um, rather than being like, oh, haven't used the lap pull down, better go use that for like, and they're, they're not really being a good enough reason behind that choice. Um, whereas, you know, before I might have just been like, oh, haven't done any vertical pulling today. So better just go do that for a reason that I don't really know. Because that guy with that PhD that I did that course with told me that you have to get this certain amount of this in, but there's not really any there's not concrete evidence to back that up (laughs) (laughs) not naming names (laughs) rest days at home should I really do nothing all day like not even walking (laughs) or yoga I mean as we mentioned the yoga thing but I think recently I said about rest days was um sometimes you need to just like completely just chill and like that's that's like an important part of resting and um, I think people think, oh, it's my it's my active rest day. I've, I'm going to walk 10K. Mm. Oh, I mm. must get my steps in on this rest yeah. day, regardless of what happens. Um, and from my perspective, it's very much listen to your body. And if, you know, if, you, if you're generally walking a lot and you go for a walk, like that's just part it's of your be normal routine. Yeah. But if you're going out of your way to walk 10K because you're on a rest day, but you feel like you should be training in some way, there's a psychological Mm -hmm. aspect to this. Um, It's, I think, healthy to to not do anything from a psychological perspective, to be able to do that and be okay with that. But I'm interested from your, from like a physiological perspective. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, what your thoughts are on that? Well, I think you're absolutely right. So say for example someone does 3000 steps a day let's put people always bring it down to steps um there are other ways that you can move 
<laughs> are active recovery. 500 cartwheels a day yeah oh my god right yes can you imagine if that's what we had to we had to track our cartwheels a day wow. i would have zero I did one roly-poly yesterday for a dumb Instagram video and I genuinely had to sit with my head between my legs like, oh my God. <laughs> so maybe don't like rush into roly-polies if you haven't done them before. I'm going upside down. Uh, you know, <laughs> um, so yeah, no, say if you did, uh, let's say you're doing 3000 steps a day alongside your training regime, which is maybe three times a week. And then you get to your rest day and you think, right, rest day, I'm going to do 10,000 steps a day that's potentially going that's a huge increase in volume from what you normally do and yeah that might actually be more stress on the body that you then have to recover from so but maybe you know doing you wanted to go for a little bit of a longer walk um it's might might be absolutely fine like you could go for there's there's no like hard and fast numbers here I'm trying to think of like a good number to give you but having said that say you did go for a longer walk with a friend and you did I don't know 15,000 steps um you might recover from that absolutely fine maybe you eat a bit more maybe you sleep a bit more that night um you know it's a case of balancing (laughs) that um you're trying to balance your and get your body into like a happy place the rest day doesn't mean um you know you just lie in your bed and you wait for recovery because that's not realistic for life um a rest day might be the general amount of movement that you do um on a daily basis whether that's like the amount that you walk to work um for me I work from home now so I have to literally kick my ass out the door every day to go do laps of this bloody park that I've maybe lapped like 3,000 times in the last year um (laughs) but uh you know maybe it's just part of your everyday commute maybe it's um doing a little 10 minute dance sequence or a 10 minute yogary let's say the word mobility flow in the evening you know something that is um you are moving around you're getting some blood flow um it is so important as a general rule not to be entirely sedentary there are many many issues that come with lying down all day um so yes you do still need to move and it is just about as i mentioned before that kind of trial and error of finding what where's right for you Mm. and i think with that it's important to discuss like kind of red flags to look out for um if you aren't recovering as well um which might be say ongoing soreness muscle soreness um because once you are fairly skilled at an activity say you've been weight training for six months um you shouldn't really be expecting to be particularly sore the next day I mean there are caveats to that sometimes I have dreadful genetics my body does not like exercise um (laughs) I'm always sore (laughs) I um but then I have clients that they never get sore and it's not a problem being sore does not mean that you are making more progress than someone else um but also ongoing tiredness is a good sign of under recovery um increased or actually loss in appetite sometimes you can feel like a bit nauseated when you're under recovered and like a bit kind of you're just not hitting that level of recovery that you need to um looking out for those kind of things little niggles little kind of if you've had like a recurring 
um, pain or injury um, that might sort of crop up when you're not recovering as well. Little things like that. I think that's really helpful, you know, those signs, you know, of a rest day. And that actually, you kind of um, brought up another question that Jenny had asked about training, which was, if I'm not making any progress, like increasing the weights when I'm training, uh-huh. is the exercise still good for my body? So say you, this year, I don't know about you, but I, I've only had um, 2.5 dumbbell, a 5 dumbbell and a 7.5 dumbbell. I've got, I've got sets of those two. Mm-hmm. So I'm only limited to those two things. Say I've been training with this five kilo dumbbell all year. Am I making any, is there any benefit to my body for just using that five kilo dumbbell? Absolutely. Like you don't always have to be increasing. Again, it comes down to what you're trying to get from the exercise, but you're still, you know, as much as you might not continue to increase muscle tissue, um, does that negate the exercise? No, you're still going to get all of the say, you're still putting your body under load. You're still going to have the benefit from um, challenging your muscles and, you know, your bones and your joints to a degree. Um, so absolutely, it's still important. Um, yeah, you could you could stick at the same plan. At some point, I would probably say you'd want to change something, just some sheer like boredom. And maybe you do yeah. decide that <laughs> Yeah, maybe you do decide that actually you want to go on to do something else. But um I yeah. think um we had a when I had the episode with um Zara and Vicky, um yeah. who are known as the Girl Games. Um I don't know if you've listened to that episode, but we kind of concluded it with a lot with all three of us going like I can't be bothered to improve during my training anymore. Like, I don't care if I'm only ever lifting a 20 kilo kettlebell. Like that honestly doesn't bother me because that's not that right. Well, I say anymore, but right now that's not appeal. Like that's not exciting or appealing or I'm bothered to be honest. Well, I just want to move my body. And am I getting benefit from those sessions? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Because I know that I'm... Like I, this is why, you know, I'm always thinking holistically about this as well. Yeah. Like what these benefits are, these holistic benefits. I know I'm making time for myself. I know I'm moving and, you know, part of that movement is still that mobility stuff we were talking about, right? Yeah. I know I'm yeah. still You're continuing your mobility training. <laughs> I'm doing my, literally, cause that's life, right? Yeah. So I know that during that session, I'm, I'm staying mobile. I'm, you know, doing something that feels relatively challenging but I know that I can do it um and it makes me feel good you know that that makes me feel good of like oh cool like I got to move I'm raising my heart rate um as a sweaty person I broke a sweat um that you know that that feels nice and a bit like oh yeah I've done something for myself today that feels really nice also and it's the same with the exercise so if you're doing your exercise maybe you're not trying to progress it and lift more and more but you're maintaining what you have yeah. And that's really important. <laughs> you know, you're, say, that's unlocking the long game. <laughs> okay, Lauren, I like to ask every single person that comes on the Train Happy podcast, what has been your most recent train happy moment? When things, so in the UK, uh, things opened up, so gyms opened up. Um, and I went to play squash with my fiance. Um, I really he's as I said he's a racket sports coach so I am quite lucky in the sense that he can give me free coaching (laughs) but um I really enjoy squash um 
I prefer it to tennis because when you miss the ball, which I do frequently because I'm new, um, you don't have to bloody walk five miles to go and get that it. That is true. It's right yeah. there. Yeah. And um, so I enjoy that. Um, so, yeah, that was probably because I actually um, I had an in- ankle inversion sprain in December because I fell over playing squash. And uh, it was really lovely coming back to it on Monday and just being able to go through the movements that I needed to. And also still having remembering the skills my body remembered how to get into the positions that I need to be able to get into for squash and you know because I hadn't been playing for a long time before December when I got injured I was a little bit like worried that it was going to be starting from zero but it isn't because it's like you know the phrase of like it's like learning to ride a bike you always remember that is how your nervous system works and then um, you know there is that People call it muscle memory, but um, it's really like you've built those skills and the biomechanical patterns to be able to just go in and out of again. And yeah, so that was possibly my train happy moment of just being able to go back to that. It's also lovely because it's something that I get to do uh, with Simon. And um, yeah, so that's that's really nice. Lauren, I feel like we're going to have to have you back on again at some point to do another <laughs> episode because I just feel like there's just so many things we could we could discuss. So if you have any more, you know, well, this is up to your agree to come back on. I'm, I'm very presumptive here. I but, might do. Might do. <laughs> for those listening, if you have enjoyed this and you do have more questions, send them in and I'll save them up and um, we'll do, we'll, we, maybe we'll do another one because I think this awesome. is really helpful to really kind of just, yeah, really uh, cut through some of the yeah. kind of fitness stuff that we're fed online um, yeah. that doesn't get thought about in depth. And it's so similar to all of the stuff that you discuss about diet culture as well, Mm -hmm. in the sense that, um, you know, we're being fed this narrative that there is a best way that we should all be moving our bodies. If you're not meeting these standards, you are not good enough, (laughs) you know, and it is just absolute crap. It is. Lauren, <laughs> where can people find you, support you, do your classes? Ah, well, I am on Instagram at Lauren Slater Coaching. Um, and I guess all of my various links of note are there. Um, so you can book my classes and inquire about my one-to-one coaching um, packages from there. You know, that good old link in the bio, that old thing. And I'll okay. share a link to all of that in the show notes as well but oh, I do highly you. recommend going to follow Lauren she makes some really great um reels videos expect <laughs> cameos from the cats um yes. and a lot like a ton of information and especially if you're a personal trainer will probably challenge a lot of your um assumptions around what you were taught <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> thank um, you so much thank you And that is it for this week's episode of the Train Happy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you took something away from this episode. And if you did, please let me know by sending feedback. You can find us on Instagram at Train Happy Podcast. Or even better, it would be amazing if you could rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you're listening, as it really, really helps to support and boost the Train Happy message. And remember, if you have had a recent moment where this stuff has just started clicking for you, then share your story with us via email, trainhappypodcast at gmail.com. 
to become the train happy trooper of the week and if you have a burning question you would like me to answer then please send those in too and it may be answered in our bonus Q&A episodes once again thank you for listening and I will speak to you soon 